sure there's amazing things about you, but, you know, I don't know you that well yet. Let's so just leave it at that. Leave it at that. Rock, rock it. It's good to be here. Mick Green, I've been a part of uh, the Free Methodist Church for a long time. Many of you may uh, know my, my wife as a pastor as well, and she's the pastor of Rivercrest Free Methodist Church downtown. And so uh, we're just uh, pleased to, uh, to share the gospel and to be about God's work. You know, as I've been thinking about this morning, uh, you know, a number of things come to my mind. Uh, Pastor Hink is a cousin of mine. So we have a lot of family ties. Uh, we go vacations together. We were at a family reunion this summer and had a great time together. And uh, I refrain from telling stories because I know that he'll be here next uh, couple of weeks down the road and he can uh, counter those stories that I might tell about him. But uh, it's so good just to, to know that uh, uh, the Lord's at work in him and work uh, in this church. This morning I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, the question is really what's happening to my church? And first of all, let me say that's really a wrong question. Okay? I put it there for a reason so that you know that it's really not the right question. And the reason it's not the right question because it's not my church. And it's not your church. And it's really not even our church. It's God's work. It's His church. God's at work. God moves. He's the one that created His church. And He's the one that's deeply involved in His church. And so the question really maybe is what's happening to church. And by happening to church, we'll kind of tease that out here as we go along. Now, I'm, I love to eat, and I love hamburgers. Probably all of us can maybe raise our hands to that, unless you're a, a vegan of some sort. But we'd like hamburgers. And we have, you know, the Five Guys restaurant. The thing I love about Five Guys restaurant is they're good hamburgers. The things I don't like about Five Guys is they got way too many add-ons. You know that? When you go there, you order hamburger. Do you want Heinz 57 sauce? Do you want, you know, uh, A1? Do you want it with mushrooms? Do you want it with onions? Do you want it with pickles? Do you want ketchup? Do you want mustard? Do you want blah, 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 blah. And it goes on. You can get a lot of add-ons. Same thing with pizza. You know, for 79 cents, you can add another layer of cheese or another layer of this or more of this. And it adds on. Well, food, that's probably okay. But Part of what happens when we add on things, that that add-on becomes my standard. That's what I want. I want my pizza with these three add-ons, and that's what I want. Or my hamburger, and so forth. And preferences then become standards. And I have to be careful that if I'm ordering a hamburger for my wife, I don't include onions. Okay, and... She, that's, she didn't want onions, but mushrooms are okay. No A1 sauce, no Heinz, just ketchup and pickles and the hamburger. So let's carry that on in our thinking about add-ons. Does that carry over to things that we do in kingdom work? Do we have add-ons? Are there things that we do in the church that here is our, our core value, this is who we are, but here are things that we prefer, and over time, what we prefer becomes the standard of what we say we must be. 
And we may ask, you know, that's, that's kind of a, maybe a, a, a modern kind of dilemma, but the reality is it's not. Acts chapter 15, and I want to take you to there. If you have your Bible, you can follow along if you have it on an app or whatever it is. But we're going to look at the chapter 15 out of Acts. Because it was an early case of add-ons. It was a, an early statement in the church that said, we want to add these things on to who we are. And I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to read not the entire chapter, but quite a bit of it. And I want you to listen as I read and think about that question. What's the issue here? Okay, first of all, ask what the issue is and what will it become? Okay, how does that issue play itself out? So listen to the story as it's written in Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some others, believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the brothers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Well, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And then the whole assembly became silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when, the finish, when the, they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, 
its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of the men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is in my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So here's a story of the first general conference, if you will. Something's going on in this church uh, out here. And the question is that people were stirring and saying that you must be circumcised if you are going to be part of this group of new movement, a wave in, in Judaism, and that is that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So the question really at hand is, number one up there, what core values define us? That's, that's the question that this group of early people needed to decide. What are our core values? You know, you could be a Jew and a Christian, but the question is, can you be a Christian and not be a Jew? That was the dilemma. Because Jesus came to the Jews to be a Messiah and said that this is the new covenant. This is who I am to be and believe in me. And Jews, as preached, and Paul and others that had preached, many were coming to faith. But they were already circumcised. But now there's a group of agitators who are saying, no, if you're going to be a Christian, then you really need to be circumcised. And so that became really a, a fundamental kind of question. In fact, in verse 1, it says you cannot even be saved if you aren't converted. I mean, if you aren't circumcised. You really can't even belong to this. And look down in verse 5, he says, they are required to obey the law of Moses. Okay, let's fast forward. And I think today's church, particularly the evangelical church, and I might get in a little heat from this, but the evangelical church to say, you know what, you can be a, if you're a Republican, you can be a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you may not be able to be a Republican or a Democrat. Well, those are add-ons to say that you have to, and you need to put in whatever you want in that blank state and blank there. But... This group of people were saying, you know, we've never done it that way. If you're going to be a part of this kingdom, you have to do it this way. And the other group said, no, we've never done it that way. It's both sides of the same coin. We've always done it this way, or no, we've never done it that way. And that was an issue that began to to formulate here in this, this early church. And we have to understand that this is monumental This changes the course of the church. What if they had gathered and said, no, you must be circumcised? What if that was the answer? Where would we fit as non-Jewish people into that? This was monumental to change based upon what Christ did. And so the, the question really is, will it be Jesus... Or will it be Jesus and? 
And you can put on those ands. You know, we've never had a, an espresso machine in our sanctuary or in our foyer before. And the reason I bring that up, because when I passed it in Washington, that was an issue. We had coffee, we had that, but somebody donated an espresso machine, so we began, well, you know, we've never done it that way. And so we find those kinds of preferences becoming issues within the body of Christ. So the issue really is, in this case, are we going to follow Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are we going to follow Jesus and this add-on that you must be circumcised? I like to refer it as this way, if, as people of Christ, it, do, do we walk with our hands open? Or do we walk with our hands closed? Because when we have fists, it's very hard to give you something, and it's very hard to receive something from you. But if we're a people with open hands, it's very easy to receive and very easy to give. And I think that's a physical demonstration of what I like to see us as followers of Christ, is that we live with open hands. And so we have the issue of what is core value to us, but I think next is the argument. So they begin to, to argue this. Paul, evidently, and Barnabas, it says that they were brought into sharp dispute with the people about this issue, and that's what asked them to go to Jerusalem to get others' opinions about this issue. And so the question really is, do, are we going to include or exclude? That was part of the argument. Are we going to allow this to, to happen, to have believers that aren't circumcised and include them, or are we going to say, nope, sorry, you can't be saved because you are not circumcised? And so the question really becomes, do we include or exclude? See, it's a defining moment, as I just meant in the gospel. Is it going to be the truth of the gospel, or is it going to be the truth of the gospel plus? And it's easy to get into that kind of mindset when we have preferences that differ with each other, but then preferences begin to define us. Now, I'm not necessarily against add-ons, because I think add-ons have some, some value in the collectiveness, but what is the root? Where do they come from? And we'll see here how they, the early church dealt that with that. If you look at verse 9 in this argument, it says that Peter said, in verse 9, um, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. In verse 9 he says, he made no distinction between us and them. There is no distinction between us and them, between the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was at work in both. The Holy Spirit came and rested on those that were Jew as well as those that were non-Jew. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. And we know that as we read through the New Testament, we also know that there's no distinction, that there's no male or female, slave or free, for we are all in Christ. We're all in Christ. And so that was part of the, the evidence that Paul and Barnabas brought to the, this, this council and Peter chimes in and says the same thing. And we go through the process then of the, the elders looking at that and confirming and validating as the Holy Spirit came. And they talked about the miraculous signs and wonders that were happening both with the Jews that were now believers and the believers that were non-Jews. Things that were 
validating what Christ was doing in them. And then we have James in verse 13 that says, you know, we've heard this argument, and then jump down to verse 8, and he says, because this even dovetails with what Scripture says. And he quotes Amos. And it says that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. That that's going to be a part of those that we return and rebuild. So even Gentiles are a part of that. And James he begins to tell the congregation that had gathered and listening to the arguments one way and the other way began to say, no, this is even what Scripture says. There's no distinction. Do we look for guidance of Scripture in the way that we deal with issues in the body of Christ? In this particular example, it was a a group of gatherings and they listened and they were quiet and they heard and they debated and they came with a conclusion. And the conclusion really is that we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And so we find the verdict. And the verdict begins, I think, in verse 19. James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make this difficult. You know what? It's a burden that you don't even want to bear, this circumcision. Why would we put that on somebody else? So we need to just love each other. We need to love on other people to realize that there is no distinction between us. Yes, there's change happening. Maybe change happens in cultural things. Maybe there are people groups here in churches that look different than what was in the past. Maybe the demographic has changed. Maybe there's new leadership on the board that's never been on the board before. We can go on and on and begin to list things that, that, that are changing. And we ask the question, how does that change affect us? And I hope this morning that you get an idea that, that change has, uh, the, the Greek philosopher says, the only constant is change. It happens. And how do we embrace it? How do we receive it? And what is the core value? We go back to that question about core value. And I looked at your bulletin this morning, and on the back of your bulletin are your core values that are listed there. And as you read through those, I was very encouraged because those are not really add-ons. Those are core values. That's what Scripture is about. That's what Jesus and His grace is about. Proclaiming the truth, offering fellowship, gather for worship, live lives of prayer, give encouragement, and become innovative to connect the gospel with, be culturally relevant. Those are core values of who you are at Northwest. And those are the kinds of things that say we can embrace all. There is no distinction because we're about something bigger than about whatever you want to call that add-on, that preference. And so the response of, of Peter and James and the group that gathered is that we, first of all, want a love on others. And he said in verse 19, he says, in my judgment, he took the lead and said, this is how I sense all of this argument. He's the Supreme Court guy. He's the one that says, now, okay, I've listened to all of this, and here it is. Here's my judgment on this. And he took the lead, and he said, really, there is nothing but God's grace being sufficient for those who want to follow him. 
That's really the, the answer that I read in that. It's that it's God's grace that's at work, and we must not stop God's grace. We must allow Him to work. Jew and non-Jew alike. People groups, regardless. As Peter said, there will be people of all race and nations and tribes and nations and languages, and we'll all be together. We'll all be together in God's kingdom. So it comes down to the very end. See, are we, are we going we gonna to live this, this community of faith that we call church, or are we going to live it in such a way that we embrace Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are we going to be people that live out of memory and history rather than living out of mission? Because things change. And we have memories. All churches have memories. All people have memories. Do we live in that memory? Or do we celebrate that memory, celebrate our history, and yet we become relevant to what God is doing today? The miraculous signs and wonders that he's performing in his people through you, to you, so that his kingdom grows. And so we live in that way. We live out of mission, not history. We are in fellowship together. We understand our core values that are listed there and how do you live out of that that's one way that you can encompass this process of of differences and preferences and the way that we have different kinds of add-ons to realize that they all funnel down here to the vital mission of who we are as a church and i like to use the idea of living between sundays <coughs> excuse me Living between Sundays. You know, we gather for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. But we have a lot of stuff between Sundays. Family, workplace, grocery stores, waiting lines, traffic lights. We have lots of stuff in our life that are not confined to this hour and a half. And so, do we live between Sundays that core value And this early church had to talk about what was going to be an add-on. It was monumental. I can't describe how much that was a core of the church to define the church, whether we're going to go this way or this way. And I think they did it right. They did it in such that they heard and they listened. And what was the bottom line? They saw that the Holy Spirit had been given to anybody and everybody. The Holy Spirit was available. That's the defining the Holy Spirit to work in you and to change you and to embrace you. We just sang that song that if you're, you're, you're lost and you can find a, a way maker. You, if that's the God that we serve. That's the Holy Spirit at work bringing people in your path and into your sphere of influence so that you can be Christ-like to them. And accept them where they're at in that place. And allow the Holy Spirit to move them and change them at their pace together. Rather than saying that, hey, if you want to be a part of us, you've got to do this or be this or have this. And the have-nots and the wants and the, those that don't have means and so forth. So are we going to be a church? Are we going to be a church between Sundays? Are we going to take the gospel and preach it? Are we going to live the truth of the gospel? And to say that this is what 
is bottom line for us. And you've already done that with the core values. And my question to you now is, are you going to allow that to be part of who you are in your ethos, not only as a congregation, but individually? That's who you are. You embrace it in such a way that the distinctions are distinctive, but they are not exclusive. But they are inclusive of those who want to walk and to follow and to find hope and to find faith and to walk therein. So we come back to the question of add-ons. And we can take that at multiple levels. But for a moment, I just want to take it to the bottom level, and that's us as individuals. We all have find comfort in certain ways that we do things. I find comfort in the preferences, the way I want a hamburger. I don't have to think about it. I just like it this way. And my wife likes it this way. And the tension comes when I buy our hamburger and I forgot and put onions on it. Okay? Or she bought a hamburger and she put ketchup on it, and I don't want ketchup on my hamburger. All right? Now, those aren't causing a, a rift in our family, and they're not causing us to separate at all. But those little preferences can become thorns. And thorns not attended to can be, become more like spears. And they can become divisive. And they can be abrasive. And so the question for me to you this morning is, how do we deal with those add-ons? We appreciate them. They're us. But they do not become a standard by which we exclude others from getting to know us, sitting beside us, hanging out with us, getting to work with us, in all our places of life. So add-ons. May we understand the core values of what God has led us to be and to do. Let's pray. Father, it's easy for us, I'll say it's easy for me, to see certain kinds of things that I enjoy and I prefer to become more of my um, standard the way I see things. And that's okay, that's me. But Lord, help me, help us to be people that recognize who we are, but also recognize the preferences of other people so that we live your kingdom in such a way that as you've taught us in your word to love one another, to embrace one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to make that part of our daily understanding of what you have done through us and in us. That we can be people that embrace the core value that Jesus, you came, you love us, you called us in relationship to you, You forgive us, you offer your grace to us, you offer your mercy to us, you call us to live in a safe place with you. May that ever be before us. And I pray this in the name of the Father, of your Son Jesus, and of your Spirit that is holy and perfect. Amen. Amen.